staying in your own head about thought-provoking topics? Read along with a stress-free book club that fits into a busy lifestyle. From out of the pages to real life, explore the fine line between fiction and nonfiction as we pull from bestsellers that will change your life. Tune in to our bi-weekly book club of mind-bending and empowering stories hosted by Nova Lorraine, founder of Rain Magazine, and her two co-hosts, Toby Santagato and Barbara Donato. Welcome to another episode of Tuesday's Book Club, where we are going to talk about Autobiography of a Yogi. If you've tuned in to our prior episode, you'll know that this is part two of this incredible book. I'm Nova Lorraine. Hi, I'm Toby. And I'm Barbara. And this is Tuesday's Book Club, exclusively brought to you on the Pink Kangaroo Podcast Network. Okay, guys, this was the first time we had to do two parts for a book. And I'm super excited because we were just scratching the surface with part one. And we left off where we were talking about themes of the book. But I'm also so eager to get into the quotes that you guys found as your favorite quotes. And then at the end of this episode, we are going to talk about instead of what happens next, we're going to talk about the characters that resonate most with us and why. So a lot to dive into. We are going to wrap it up in two parts. And I want to make sure that we continue around the table and make sure we cover each of the themes that we felt resonated with us before we dive more into the story. You guys good? Sounds good. Awesome. Well, I know the last time we got together, Toby had just touched on the body and the mind and the connection there. Um, on the heels of my comment regarding that our 3D world is not everything that we think it is. There's much more to it. And that actually, Toby, I was smiling when you were making that comment because that's part of one of my other themes (laughs) (laughs) in terms of the body and the mind and that connection. So glad that you touched on that. But I'm going to pass the mic over to Barbara to share with us another theme that really resonated with you for autobiography of yoga. And but before you start Barbara, I do want to catch those up that if you are just jumping into part 2 and you haven't had a chance yet to go to part 1, Autobiography of Yoga is a story that was published in 1946 by a self-realized monk Paramahansa Yogananda who was born in India and came to the West who's known for bringing yoga to the West. He has a fascinating tale of stories of how that journey came about, which will, for some, question their reality or if this book is fact or fiction. So definitely check out part one of Autobiography of a Yogi so you can catch up. And if you haven't yet, definitely get your copy and take your time going through it. It is a dense book, but it's so worth it. And just keep an open mind. It's fascinating. It's magical. It's mystical. It's it's incredible. So Barbara. You got the mic. What's another theme that resonates with you regarding this book? Um, for me, it would be willing yourself towards constructive purposes. Just living a purposeful life in a positive way. There was a, a story in the book where he talks about how a yogi used a spirit. And I don't know, I found the story very funny. So he tells a story about how there was a spirit 
who was able to manifest objects that, like if he touched an object, he was able to manifest that object. And, and again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. There was a lot in the book, so I could be a little wrong in, in this story a little bit. And what he would do was if he like would say, hey, guys, we're going to have a dinner. What are all your favorite foods? He would be able to physically manifest all the favorite foods of whoever asked for it. But what he was doing um, through this spirit. OK, so what he was doing, though, was he would go somewhere and he would say, hey, I like your ruby or I like your bauble. And he would touch it. He would have to touch it first. And then next thing you know, a few moments later, a day or two later, the person whose jewelry or um, ruby he touched, (laughs) that specific ruby would disappear. So he would get this spirit to take whatever it was that he physically touched. Yes, I do remember that. I remember it too. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately he got in trouble and he had to live a life of penitence. Am I saying it right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, from that point on, and he was disconnected from the spirit as well. That was kind of like, and the, the moral of the story was live positively, live with positive purpose. And I like that. I, you know, that's what I want to do in my life. I want to be able to live positively. I want everything that I do going towards something positive and something good. That's something throughout the book as well, mm-hmm. where he's like, everything, all your will should be towards the positive. Right. Everything mm-hmm. you say, everything you do should not be in any type of way, in a negative way. You have to be, everything will, if you will it, the outcome will be positive if you will it to be. And it does take practice for some of us who are not used to living in a, you know, I mean, negativity surrounds us and fear surrounds us. So that's one of my goals is to live positively, to speak uh, positively, and all my actions is towards the positive as well. So that's my But you know, Barbara, when you think about it, as soon as you do something like that, I remember we read another and maybe go all the way back to the alchemist, but I know that we were talking in one of our shows about when you declare something that you want and you say it to maybe just your best friend, eh, it might happen. But when you decide whether it's you want something or you want to be something or you want to have a positive life and you tell everyone in the world that, so there's, it's a risk because now you better do it because you told everyone. It's similar. Like if you are feeling that positive energy, that comes back tenfold because people are attracted to that. And so it's not even, it's, we make it harder than it is. In my opinion, as soon as you realize what you want and you really declare it, like declare it out and you tell everyone in the world, this is what I am. This is who I am. This is what I'm going to be. It shows back up for you. And what do we say? The world conspires to give you what you want. That's right. And that's such a great example that you brought up, Barbara, regarding that yogi and his spirit companion. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually forgot about that until you brought it up. And I was like, oh, yeah. So again, for listeners that have not read the book, it sounds crazy. I know it does. (laughs) (laughs) But if you follow the book from the beginning, let me tell you, there's nothing that you would read in the book that sounds crazy by the time you get to the end. You're just like, oh, okay. Yeah. But there's blood dripping down from her eyes. Oh, okay. Yeah. And <laughs> it, it's just like, what? But yeah, this character is has the power to control this spirit being where he can materialize physical things. But what he also does is he takes advantage of this power and he steals jewelry, gemstones, whatever it is. He, he's obsessed with gemstones or whatever. 
And so he uses the power to entertain, but he also uses it for his own personal gain at the detriment of others. And eventually it catches up with him and it's taken away from him and he has to to live without it and then also repent, I guess, live a life of repentance. And it shows you that you can be gifted with great powers, but if it's not used in the right way, it's going to catch up to you. And there is, is it something in the Bible where it says with great gifts come great responsibility or something like that? Or am I making that up from like a Marvel movie? It's Marvel movies. <laughs> no, Spider-Man said that. Yeah, that's Spider-Man love. But hey, it's a good one. <laughs> it's a good one. I'll take it. But I think there is, I think it, it's inspired from a scripture in the Bible that when we are, when we have, and all of us are gifted. And that's, I think that's even the bigger point is when we have these great gifts, not all of them are actualized, but when we have these great gifts, it does come with a responsibility to use it, going back to your point, Barbara, with positivity, with positive will. Yeah. So I love that story you brought up. I completely forgot about that. I'm like, whoa, yeah, that does. <laughs> that sounds out of this world of an experience, but that's what this book is all about. I think it's to, as you're listening, not, or depending on how you're reading the book, if it's audio or if you're re- reading it, a printed copy, as you are going through these stories, as you're encountering these new characters and these new stories, it's reinforcing everything that the guru is sharing, the gurus, right, actually, right, right. the yogis, as well as what the author is experiencing in his own personal growth. It's to challenge you to expand on what you currently know and understand. It's to challenge you to push past, you know, your current experiences or fears or challenges. And I'm going to stop there because I could just go on and on. But um, Toby, what's another theme that you have? Thank you, Barbara. Yeah. So another theme that I have and, and mine generally, I think the quotes come first because the way this book is written, just so you know, is Throughout it, there's quotes and there's stories and then there's themes and they evolve kind of in conjunction with one another. So a lot of mine are like they happen simultaneous. And so another theme, it starts, what happens is, again, the yogi that the story is about from a very young age has one goal to get to the Himalayans because he believes that once he's there, he'll be a great yogi, right? And that's it. When he finally meets up with his teacher and they've had a bunch of lessons and this is one of the lessons and his Swami or his teacher says to him, Hey, you know, where's God? And he goes, you know, he's thinking, you know, the, the whole yogi's thinking, he's thinking, he goes, politically correct statement. It's everywhere. And he, his teacher starts to chuckle and he goes, Oh, is it? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, so then like, why do you have to go to the Himalayas to get to where you want to be? And I was so struck by that because, so that's kind of the, I'm giving you a tip of my theme, but what the theme was, was it's not a place you have to get, it's internal. So here's what one doesn't look for within will not find no matter where they travel. And so that's a huge theme because we're always trying to get somewhere and we don't realize, or not oh, not everybody and always, but generally for me, I have these goals. And then it's like the trajectory and the path to get there. And there's no, you know, the new word is organic. There's not an organic, if I'm being rigid and and not being self-actualized, like I I am now, I take every moment, like it has to hit this one marker, turn right and turn left. Or what did you call it, Nova? The the path, the yellow path. 
And so he's in this, the lesson here was that it's not about the location. It's all, it's in you. It's in you. So that's one piece of it. And then that you don't have to have a set point if you, if you're peaceful and calm. And what's been happening for me lately, ladies, is when things like I have goals all the time. I'm, I'm a very goal driven person, but I'm noticing now when I don't hit the benchmark of what I think I need to do, I'm not as frantic. I'm like, well, why did that happen? And maybe I wasn't even meant to be like I, the other day I had a client cause I do interior design and I, I've been not doing it that much. I have a, a regular job, you know, that I do to try to make money. And with my husband and I got a call for interior design kitchen. I was like, Oh my God, this is great. And I went there and I did my thing and she decided randomly not to use me. And the reason she decided was not, it didn't make any sense. And the the old Toby, I would have been so upset. I would have like, oh, I shouldn't do it and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, there's a reason. There's a reason I'm either that would have made me really busy and something else wouldn't have come for me or I would have been stressed out. And I just took it so much better. And I think that's what the yogi is. He's trying to tell him like, whatever your path is, it's internal. You know, it's an internal path Mm. and there's nowhere to go. Everything you have is inside. Mm. And I was like, oh my God. That's right. And I love that. That's That's my, that's huge for me. I love it. And it overlaps with Barbara's comment about God being within. And I love that quote, Toby. I'm so, so happy that you shared it. And because I do remember coming across it in the book and I just, it was probably one of those points where I was doing the audiobook at this point that I had to stop, <laughs> rewind, re-listen two or three times. <laughs> and because there's just certain things that you just want to sink in and you want to understand wholly. And the realization that if you haven't found it within, you're never going to find it externally. And but what do most of us do? We're on this external hunt, right? The never-ending external pursuit of happiness. That we touched on in, in part one, where it puts us on this rat, is this hamster wheel and in this rat waste, and we become disconnected. We don't even know who we are anymore. And and then one day we wake up and we're like, why am I so miserable? <laughs> you know, and what's the purpose of life? And and it's because we've been on this external pursuit, similar to the young yogi being on it as a child, looking for his awareness, self-awareness in the Himalayan mountains. And he was just like, nope, it's there. I have to be there. And that's what I need to do. And that's where I'm going to find it. And his guru was literally in his backyard, like the neighboring town. (laughs) Okay. Like 20 minutes from his house. And here he was going off to this like far off land that he thought that he had to go to in order to self-actualize, but it was all about going within. So that's just, that's so powerful. And also one thing else on that that just came to me is, but what was neat about it is instead of looking at his story as like, oh, he finally figured it out. Maybe all those failures to do what he thought he needed to do were important to then even get the lesson. Because it's not like he gets that lesson right away. Like, where is it? It's in you and blah, blah, blah. He literally goes through a zillion lessons in the book of trying to go somewhere. He All these different gurus that he meets and teachers and the tiger swamp, like there's so many stories and they're all necessary. So when we have what we call hiccups to get to this goal, and I'm not anti-goal, I'm very goal-oriented and I'm not going to change that. We look at them as hiccups, not that your failures again with that failure comment, because maybe they're important so that when you finally get there, you're ready. Maybe you're not ready. You're not ready to be there. 
That's right. That's right. I mean, he was, uh, I think, around 11 when he first headed off to the mountains and failed. And like, what if he got there that first time? <laughs> what? Would even have been able to make it back, right? No. Um, <laughs> That's true. But yeah, it wasn't until he was, I think, 17, 18, he graduated high school and he meets his guru and he still is determined to go to the mountains. So, I mean, here we are seven years later. Right. Okay. Right. And he still hasn't learned the lesson yet. So yeah, sometimes it does take us many years, major failures, because he failed big most of the time with a lot of great effort. I mean, he put in effort and strategy and time into trying to make this trip. And he failed big each time. And the point is that, I mean, if we look at our life, we all look at our lives, there are going to be some really big failures in our lives. And But is it about the failure or is it about you didn't learn the lesson yet, you weren't ready for it, or you weren't open enough to see that there was a different path to your goal, or maybe all of the above. And or what if what if the failures were, were on purpose so that you could share your failure mm-hmm. that would be even more detrimental to someone else? I think I told this story at a, another, maybe not, but my daughter, uh, Charlie, was in a dance competition. She was like the bridesmaid, never the bride. Um, she was always first runner up. And we were really, you know, in that world. And, and it was like her final year in the teen category. I can't remember the story, but basically that's, that's how big something is in your life. And then it's not even important. So that's the lesson right there. But at the time it was, it was everything. Like it was everything. And we had a friend's mother came up to us. And then of course, everybody came up to us and told us she was robbed. And we were like, that doesn't help. You know, like you're hurting us like that. You're already, you're not, you're trying to make us feel better. So anyways, long story short, this mom comes up and says, what if Charlie to Charlie, what if the girl that won had to win and you'll never know? Like, what if you'll never know, but that even though you lost the impact on you versus the loss to her, what if that's all she ever needed to Mm. be whatever she was? And it was such Mm. for me, a soothing thing to know, like, that's very, you know, like, wow, things really do. It was impactful. It was impactful for me because I was devastated because of course, I thought that she should win too. And I thought, wow, this may be very true. And so we have to just know that sometimes things really do happen for a reason. Yeah, I, I believe that too. Like he's, you know, I think when he was younger, he was always in a rush. And I think that his guru was, you know, would put things in place to kind of slow him down. You know what I mean? Like when he was, the, the time when he wanted to go and then he ended up with a tummy ache, you know? <laughs> I'm done. Yes. Like he was always in a rush to do everything. And it was like, I just need to get spiritual awareness. I need to get spiritual awareness. And and, um, even when like, remember like his, he didn't want to go to school because this is not my path. I don't really care for it. Yeah. Well, he's impetuous. So the listeners know this guy is not, we're talking about this amazing person, but it didn't start. He didn't wake up and go, I'm this and that. Yeah. Definitely wasn't like, he definitely didn't get his awakening (laughs) super fast. I think his guru needed him to slow down. But I like that part when he was, when he was like, I do not focus in school. I'm going to fail. I don't care for any of this. I don't read any of this. And his guru was like, look, study, take your time, do what you have to do. Believe, you know what I mean? And he really did. He was like, fine, I'm going to do it. I'm, you know, and, cause I really, he really was just ready to fail and keep it moving. And I think that was like another lesson of patience, of like you say, Toby, perseverance of just 
calming down to the fact that he was able to slow down. He was able to do what his guru said. He was able to study and believe. And he actually passed. Okay, girl, you know that doesn't happen, though. Come well, on. That I was mean, incredible. He, he passed all those stuff. I wish I had that happen to me. I think you notice sometimes like how it is where we are such a, we're going to read this book real fast and then we're going to go over there. We're going to study real fast. We're going to do this. And he might have retained all of that stuff. And then when it came down to, what do you call it when you're in college and you just got to buckle down like at the last minute? That's what like, like procrastinate. Cram. You're cramming. I think he crammed. I mean, I guess passing for him was like a D. If he got a D, he was happy. And they were like, at least you. (laughs) It was like the passing grade was 33. They lowered the passing grade. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They lowered it like (laughs) 33. And he was like, oh, snap. I actually passed. But we have to remember, too, during that time that the tutor was inspired about the answers or sections that he should study. Oh, yeah. So it was like he was given all of these shortcuts that would take him right to the answers or questions that would be on the test. He got amazingly lucky. It was definitely more of just reading 100 chapters and trying to knock out the test. It was, was don't read that, read this. Don't read that, read this. And being with the smartest kid in school doesn't help, you know, doesn't hurt either. No, yeah. But yeah, he barely passed with his cramming techniques. But yeah, that was a pretty incredible story. Yeah, I think it was great. And I think that was interesting. Well, what our listeners may, if they listen to the book, they probably already know this, but you know, he ends up being a teacher in his own right, the yogi. And I think that at some point, maybe he would have been ready to do just like internal stuff. But because the path that he ended up going in was a teacher, I think these lessons along the way were even more important because when you're a teacher, there's so much you have to give forward. It's not just the subject matter, especially if you're the kind of person that wants to empower, not just by a certain math history, but like empower as a human race. And so I think these things that happened to him and the reason why his Swami even takes longer and puts these other people in his path to learn is because he would not be ready for that journey to then spread the word if he didn't go through it himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important in the story when you're listening to it. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And you had said something about failure and maybe earlier you were talking about failure and you were saying that maybe you had to fail so someone else's experience wouldn't be as detrimental so you can pass that knowledge on. And you know, there was a point in my life I remember literally having a one-on-one conversation with God saying, why do my lessons have to come so big and so hard? Why do my failures have to be so big? I was like, you know, my little pity party. And what came to me was that as an answer to my question was that so I could teach others how to not fail the way I did so I can help others. And truly my failures were to help others. And so when you mentioned about the teaching and my kids always joke around, mommy, do you want to be a teacher? Do you want to be a teacher? And I'm like, <laughs> girl, they're so <laughs> naughty. <laughs> I love sharing knowledge. I just, I love passing it on, passing it forward, as you said, Toby. Would it be weird if like we could do this giant study, like this massive study mm-hmm. and have the answer that said that the people that have the biggest lessons tend to be the people that share, like it's God's will or some kind of will, mm-hmm. because I feel like, if you're the kind of person that shares and you have these experiences, right, then you're going to share them, right? So maybe the people that don't have these horrible experiences or something are not necessarily the ones that are going to, like my husband, 
I'm not saying he hasn't been through stuff, but like he's the kind of person that goes to University of Florida, chooses his classes and gets them. Me, I'm in, I'm in drop ad begging teachers. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But my husband's also not going to share anything. He's not going to tell you the secrets. He's the greatest <laughs> guy in the world. Love him to death. He's not a sharer. <laughs> Meanwhile, me, I had the worst time registering for my classes. And you know what? I went out and told people the best way to do it. Go to this, right. do that. So maybe we'll never know. But I feel like sometimes it happens for a reason. This yogi had all these lessons because he was going to become this teacher. No, that would be an amazing study. That's hilarious. <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> oh, man. So I would say in terms of, let's see, I'll take the mic back in terms of a theme, another theme. And Toby, one of your quotes touched on this was that our body is a subconscious manifestation of our thoughts, that our health, how we see ourselves physically, how we're reacting physically is tied to our thoughts. And there were examples after examples. There was a gentleman who was 300 pounds, but he didn't eat. There was a woman who also didn't eat, but she was young and vibrant. There was, oh my goodness, I'm trying to think of, oh, just Yogananda himself when he would get sick. (laughs) And I'll have to tie this back to one of my quotes because I just thought it. The body is literally manufactured and sustained by the mind right? Which I think you had touched on, Toby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, what? So if let's just take that to heart. Let's just take a moment to think about that. The body is literally manufactured, right? Slash created and sustained by the mind. How many times do we take a moment to think about our thoughts? Like to think about, are our thoughts positive? Are they, you know, going back to your comment earlier, Barbara, you know, what is the purpose? You know, is it to help others? You know, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Are we not even taking a moment to be still or to think? And is that having a detrimental effect on us physically? And so how is fear affecting us physically? All of these things that we sort of just take for granted, we get up, we eat, we go about our day, either we're a student or we're working or we're supporting uh, someone that we care about or love. And, and we don't even take a moment to ponder how closely connected our mind is to how we're physically manifested. I just, to me, that was mind blowing. And there were so many examples that they gave from the author himself to the various yogis that he met to like instantly being well from certain sicknesses. I just love that. And the tiger Swami, that's when the tiger Swami meets him. That's actually his lesson. And I cannot remember the story, but maybe one of your, you guys remembered it's early on. He's one of the people that he comes in contact with and he actually can fight tigers. And it's, I don't even remember, but he should have been, his body should be mauled or something. And that's when he shares, but if either one of you remember what happened with that, but it was like, I really was vested in that story at the time. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. That was another example. Cause this, the tiger Swami was this scrawny little kid. And he wanted to grow up to be as strong. He wanted to prove everyone wrong, that he could be so strong that he could go one-on-one with the biggest tigers in the world. And everyone was like, yeah, right. And he was like, okay, watch me. And he would just work out and he ate certain things. And he got to a point as an adult where he would be able to wrestle tigers and win. And But he grew into this massive person. And he was so determined as this little kid to to do this. And that was sort of proof in the pudding. And then of course he went on to not only learn how to do this physically, but 
he was then taught how he could wrestle tigers just with his mind. And like, he's like, okay, let's take this up a level. Let's take this up a notch. So I thought that was an incredible story about that and how we could really turn our health around. Health is one of the biggest industries in our society and concerns as a human being, maybe as a parent in the health of our children, ourselves, our parents. And going back to the point about being able to understand the physical world where you to the point where you can change it, manipulate it. And so what is something, if we were each thinking of something that we want to change in our body, an ailment, for example, and we wanted to change that, how could we do it just with our mind? I actually have done this, which is bizarre. So I have a super bad back, like the kind of back that like doctors, when I go see them, are like upset, you know, like surgeons. They're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Just bizarre. <laughs> and I used to cry when they did that because I, it was like that realization, like, oh my gosh. But what I found, and I've, and I've shared this now with people, is it's not that it's better, but the more I talk, so I never, you, most people don't know I have a bad back. I mean, it's a disability, but the more I talk about it, the more it hurts. And the less I talk about it, the less it hurts. And to a certain degree, obviously I still have a bad back and it is a mind over matter thing. I don't want to live in the confines of my back. And I share that with so many people. And, And the other thing that's, it's sort of a mind matter thing in that it's not really my body, but it's my mental stability is I had a lawsuit many, many, many years ago from a car accident. And I made that consume my life. It was seven years. My kids were young, huge regret. Like it's fine, whatever. But I think sometimes I suffer through that to tell other people, like when you meet people and the first thing they say is I was in a car accident many years ago, even if it's settled and they always talk about that same story, they're just defining themselves that way. And then they're depressed or it's nothing defines you. It's certainly an event should not define you. And so I feel like one, the event happened for me to help other people. Anytime I talk to somebody and they tell me about an injury and then the event, I tell them that story about my back or my car accident. I say, I choose to not regret it in the car accident, Mm -hmm. but I also choose that those injuries really only exist minimally because it's Mm -hmm. not going to make you happy. That's right. It's not a form of validation. If anything, it takes away the ability to get over the pain. And that's a mind-body thing. I agree. You're right. I agree. And I'll have to share a story now that you're saying that it made me remember my, so I love to run and my ankles or heels started acting up and bothering me. And I would just complain like every day, oh, my heels hurt, blah, 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 blah. And eventually I had to stop running, which then got me frustrated. And then I started just, you know, just unhappy about not being able to run and the effects it'll have on my physical parents, this, that, and the other. And one day I was like, you know what? I'm going to take control over this situation. And I will kid you not. I remember I was just laying in bed one morning and I said, I'm just going to just meditate on it. And I'm going to, and this was after reading actually the mutant messenger. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I was like, you know what? If it worked for her, it's going to work for me. And so I placed my hands on my legs and I literally just just started meditating and thinking just positive thoughts about my body and my legs and how healthy and how strong, how flexible, and just all positive thoughts, all positive thoughts. And I don't know, for maybe 30 minutes or so, like time flew by, but I knew I was in like this really deep state of mind. And so eventually I came out of it and I got up 
And because typically when I would get up in the morning or get up from the bed, it was just, I would just almost like collapse because of how much pain I was in. I got up and I just walked. And I was like, wait, whoa, wait, (laughs) did that just work? And I was tripping. Let me tell you, for every single morning after that, I was getting up and I was just waiting for the pain. And I was like, that could not have worked. It could not have worked. And, but nope, no pain. Get up again. Nope, no pain. For at least, I would say seven days. And I kid, kid you not, maybe like around day eight or nine, the pain came back because I kept doubting that it worked. Serious? <laughs> I mean, now it's better because I have to like, again, focus on just my mental thoughts. But I re- like, kid you not, right after I mentally focused on like super, super concentrated focus, which talks this is spoken about in this book about focus and concentration. And that's part of the whole science behind Kriya Yoga. And I got up and I was pain-free, pain-free for days with nothing else. I didn't do anything else. And I just kept every morning, I kept expecting the pain to come. I was like, no, that couldn't have worked. It couldn't have worked. And sure enough, like, again, a little over a week later, the pain came back, but it works. (laughs) And it doesn't mean that you ignore, like, obviously, if you need to go to a doctor, like I'm not, you know, purporting if you need, like, I'm not one of those people that don't do chemo, don't do radiation. I think Steve Jobs, the articles I read was like, he refused that stuff because he took it to that level of spiritualness. I'm not a doctor. You have your own path. Like I, I need to say that. But for me personally, the more I think about and get frustrated about the fact that I was kind of born with a bad back and then it persisted with other situations. And the more I get in the weeds of my story, the more my back hurts. And the less I think about it, the less it hurts. Is it perfect? No. But do I feel better when I'm completely disconnected from it? Yes. Yeah, I, I'm with you, ladies. I remember being, again, when I was younger, I so I was much more mentally strong. And we would do these things where we would have to go on these long runs or these long ruck marches. And I wasn't about that life. I'm not a marathon runner. I'm a sprinter. And it would be like, I would find myself at the end, you know, or towards the end, so tired. But I would will. I used to remember like willing myself, Barbara, go faster, go faster, like to just don't slow down, go faster. I don't know if you guys, you know, when you guys are working out and sometimes you got to do that last rep and it sucks and it's like, no, I'm going to do this last (laughs) rep. I'm going to will this last rep. I would find myself when I was in the military, willing myself and not, and I, I wasn't going to be last either. Like I was going to be like that one female that was like in the top 10 people that finished. You know what I mean? Like I, I was determined. And I remember just mentally like pushing through, through the pain. My, like, you know, I was in Alaska and we would have to like run in like ridiculously cold weather where you're, it was like so cold that you're, that you're <laughs> Ugh, that's from, horrible. Like, your throat was on fire. I wasn't having it because I was in, you know, and I don't know what it's like now, but I remember when I was in, it was always like, oh, the females, like we have to give them a different standard. And and it was like not, you know, we were always, we were never treated like the way that the other males were treated. And I refused, refused, refused to be treated that way. And I was like, no, I'm going to be in the two. There's like, we had points, a point system when we used to take our physical training test and 300 was the highest, right? But unfortunately, women, we or fortunately, I mean, depending on how you look at it, our women, our standards were different than the male standards. So our 300 for women 
would be like a 260 for men. And I said to myself, once you get 270 and up, you would like, it would put you on a different status. And I said, I'm not going to get a two, a 300 for women was not good for me. I was going to get a 270 for men and I was going to fight for that three, for that 300 in the men's, for the, in the men's points, because I was not going to have anybody say to me, well, you're 300 for a woman. No, 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 that wasn't going to happen. Or you just got that because you're a woman. And let me tell you women, let me tell you lady women, <laughs> let me tell you ladies how I would fight. Cause I, I was not a runner. And I remember saying to myself one day, I was like, if I can just beat 15, I can get 270 for men. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And I was so determined and I did it. I actually got 270 in the men's. Um, yeah. Yes. I wasn't playing because, again, I was so much. Men- now, if you told me that, I'd be like, you want me to do what? Where? What? <laughs> like, you know, even when I had to repel. And I remember, like, I was aerosol. I'm afraid of heights, like, definitely. <laughs> Same. Like, over bridges. Like, I'm, it's just horrible. Me too. Me too. I remember, like, they were like, you're going to do this and you're going to have to repel and it's 90 feet and all this stuff. And I was, I don't want to say almost to tears. I was in past tears. <laughs> and I was saying, you know what, Barbara? Don't let them see you cry. Don't let them see the fear in you. You're going to do this. And I remember mentally preparing myself. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do it. I'm going to pass the test and I'm going to get that badge. And I did it first time out. Didn't fail. Wow. Didn't fail. And it was all because of my mental. I, I All because of my mental. I promise you, because the body was weak. <laughs> <laughs> the body was weak, but the mind yeah, was strong. That's hilarious. If you body, I'd have been like, I'm not going in that helicopter. Are you kidding me? Like I can feel the wind. It is mind over body and desire obviously connects with all of that. Yeah. I think that's cool, Barbara. I'm very uh proud of you. Thank you. Barbara now would be like, well, how did I do that? Like what, <laughs> what was I on? <laughs> but yeah. You were on that mental high, that mental power. Mm. That's what you were on. Let's transition into quotes because I want to make sure that we are able to touch on some of our favorite quotes. I know we've shared a couple. If there's any more, let's do that. And then then let's go through or go to what character we resonate with most and why. Who wants to start with sharing some more of their favorite quotes? Mm, I can do my quote. I'm excited about it. <laughs> go ahead. Um, my favorite one was, since you alone are responsible for your thoughts, only you can change them. Ooh, 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 ooh. send me that, please. Yeah, same. Oh what the heck? What? Yes. Ooh. And it was it was actually said by Sri Yukeshwar, who was the Yogan Yo. Am I saying his name right? Yoganda. Yogananda. Yogananda guru. Yeah. Apparently, he's he. That was something that he said throughout. You know, and I love that quote because he's absolutely right. I remember sitting with my therapist one day and my, and my therapist said, and he said that to me, he said, when you think negatively, negative things are going to happen. You have to think. You alone know what you're thinking. You alone know your thoughts. And I think that it's a law of attraction, though. When I'm really being less judgy and being peaceful and, you know, controlling that, it bounces off other people and it just like, it's bizarre. Like people will bounce differently from you because you are not being that person. You're, you're already forgiving. You're already being 
happy or whatever that state of being is. And it's almost like it perpetuates itself. You ever notice when you wake up in the morning, you have a rough morning, you're like, and then that happened. And then that happened. And you're like, (laughs) (laughs) and so it's the same on the flip. So we have to just remember that, you know? Yeah, so true. Yeah. Make a habit of positive thinking. Always think positively. You know, you got to will it, manifest it. I'm going to piggyback of your quote, Barbara, quote that stood out to me is thought is a force, even as electricity or gravitation. The human mind is a spark of the almighty consciousness of God. I could show you that whatever your powerful mind believes very intensely will instantly come to pass. That's it's, it's like they're like connected. It's I love it. And you know what word stood out to me was intensely and instantly. And again, if we just dissect this, because most of us, when we think of a situation or a circumstance or something that we want, we immediately go through all the things that will not go right or could mm-hmm. go wrong. Or, mm-hmm. And we try to experience the failure. So the blow isn't as hard when the blow comes, right? So which means we're already expecting for this blow to come. Yeah. But if you imagine something that you really, really want and you just hold on to that intense thought, and we have experiences, we all can touch on some we've touched on already today. And immediately or instantly is the word he used. It can instantly come to pass. So to me, that's like a superpower. Like if you're able to do that and you're like, ooh, I want to buy that house. And then Oh, instantly? (laughs) Like, wait, what do you mean? Like instantly? Is that really going to happen? And I remember going back to your your comment, Toby, about the law of attraction. I remember there was this book that is written by the same authors who wrote the law of attraction. And I read this book, not having read the law of attraction, and it's going through all these techniques on how to have positive thoughts or how to bring what you want to reality through your thoughts. And I was like, yeah, right. I'm reading all this. I'm like, yeah, right. And I said, you know what? I'm going to test this. This is me and my bold self. This is years ago. <laughs> I said, I'm going to test this. And so I start putting to action, whatever it was, the exercises they said. And then I said, I'm going to make this call and I'm going to make the most impossible request. And I reached the decision maker, which is really hard to do when you call a big organization. I reached the person that I needed to talk to, to that was going, that had the power to make the decision made this ridiculous request. I mean, it was so like, oh, I don't know. I can't remember right now. And they're like, okay, can you send that over in an email? I almost fell out. I was like, stop it right now. (laughs) I I believe it. I really do. But did you think that it could happen? Because I think if you think it can happen, it can. It was almost like a dare to myself. I was like, you know what? Let's see if this is gonna happen. And I did put to action whatever they said to do in the book. And I was so freaked out after those, that phone call. Like I literally was shaking because when he says instantly, it was instant. Like I got the yes where I should have gotten 10 no's and the person should have hung up in my face. And for, from everything for the, in terms of the right person answered the phone and they gave me the yes within seconds or maybe minutes by the time I explained my ridiculous That's amazing. Request. And so I think if we can just remember that and hold on to it, that if we believe in something, it can instantly come to pass. And the example in the book, it gives, Yogananda was underweight. He was sick and he, I don't know how much he weighed, but he was, un, he was grossly underweight. And his guru said, why do you keep doing this? You are subconsciously 
controlling your body with your mind. Like, what are you doing? And then he said, if you want to gain weight, just will it, just do it. And he's like, right now? He said, yeah, right now. And instantly he gained, was it 15 pounds or 50 pounds or something? I don't know. It's something too much, I think it was. (laughs) And I think it was his sister that said, oh my gosh, are you dying of dropsy? Like, why are you gaining all this weight? And he gained the weight and he never lost it. It was literally like a flick of a switch. Yeah, I think that's true. It can, and maybe it's not a flick, but again, I'm obsessing, but like my family calls me the Harper because when I get the passion about something, I, I don't let it go. But I definitely think when you put something into the world, and I think you, if you authentically believe it, it's even more powerful. Like yours was a dare, but I think if you say to yourself, there's no reason why this can't work and you authentically in your heart, no, there's no reason why. And of course you share that with people. There's no reason why then. Yeah. I remember even when we moved, we're in Pennsylvania now and it was such a crazy circumstance around getting the house, this house, but we had placed an offer on a house decided to retract the offer based on the the home inspection that you do. Mm-hmm. And here we are, I don't know, about a week away from our move date. And we had no house <laughs> that we were moving to. And you know what? But I believed that we were going to find something. We were going to like it. And it was just going to happen. It was just like, okay, well, I'm letting go of this other thing because it doesn't feel right. But I know there's something else that's going to come to pass. The very next day, I saw an ad for this house. It didn't come up in the regular search. It was an ad on the side. I looked at it and I was like, oh, I've never seen this before. Click it. It met all our criteria. I called my my realtor. I was like, can you go and see the house for us? We couldn't see it because we it was a week away from us moving. He came, did this FaceTime tour. I didn't know what he was showing me. I was like, I don't even know what you're showing me. Do you think we'll like it? He says, yes. I said, okay, put the put our bid in. And we got the house and we never even walked in this house before we bought it. (laughs) That's what you call faith. And it's one of my favorite homes we've ever lived in. I mean, so so, so, so grateful for it. Literally the next day it appeared. So I do believe I go back to that, Toby, like, yes, if you believe it intensely and yeah, it wasn't seconds later, but it was literally within 24 hours, we were looking at our future house. Yeah. You know, it reminds me too of, Angelina, back when she was a level seven, she had just a gymnast, little bit of gymnast. For, the, for the listeners, gymnast, level seven gymnast. I get so comfortable. I feel like they already know us. Our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But yes. When Angelina was a level seven gymnast, she had to do, I think it was like a back walkover and she kind of had a little bit of a, of a mental block. And so I had taken her to a sports psychologist or a sports therapist. And one of the things she said, cause she was in the Olympics. And she was talking about how she struggled herself, where there was this one um, skill on beam that she kept falling, kept falling, kept falling. And she redirected her mind where she wasn't going to say to herself anymore, oh, I'm going to fall on this skill. Oh, I'm just going to fall on the skill. I'm not going to, you know, I never get the skill. She changed her mind, her mental to say, once I get this skill, what's my next step going to be? Like once I land this skill, what's my next step going to be? So she went into her routine knowing that she was going to land that skill because she knew she had it. She was messing up because she, she was already defeated. She had already went into it knowing she was going to mess up. So she knew she could do it. It was just changing her mental. And so once she's changed her mental to say, okay, once I land this, where am I going to go with it? 
Yeah, because it's showing that she believed it already, right? Like it, it already happened, right? Because for her to go to the next step, it already happened. So it you're creating happened. that. Yep. And so she said from that moment on, she never messed up. That's She never dropped it again. That's incredible. Yeah. And so she said to Angie, she said, you know, don't go into the skill thinking, oh, I'm going to, you know, my hand is off or no, go into the skill knowing you you already have it. You know the drills. You've done it all. You've done it before. Go into You've done the it. work, right? You've done, done the work. work. And she told her, she said, go into it knowing you've already done it and what the next step is going to be. Mm-hmm. And when you keep doing that, you keep mentally preparing yourself for that, it's going to, you're going to end up, your body will follow what your mind is, is already doing, you know, is already believed. And so that's what Andy started doing. Angelina started doing that and it worked. You know, it, it worked. I noticed that like with a lot of gymnasts, you know, um, Lori Hernandez, what's the first thing she does before she goes on beam? She looks at it and she goes, I got this. She already knows that she's got the routine. And so that's a great example of what your mind can do. Your body will follow. What your mind believes, your body will follow. I think we need to send each other each of the quotes, like text. <laughs> text okay. me your quotes. I will text you my quotes. Yeah, I am. So powerful. And I think we should include it in the show notes as well, because yes, this not only is the story of Yogananda Paramahansa powerful from this young boy, you know, with a desire to go to the Himalayan mountains to meeting these very, what I would put in quotes, magical, mystical, just supernatural individuals to getting himself through college, even though he didn't want to go, but knew it was part of his journey. And moving to the West, like leaving everyone behind to fulfill his destiny of bringing yoga to the West. And so I've taken several yoga classes, absolutely love yoga, have not heard of Kriya Yoga until I read Autobiography of Yogi, which I'm definitely going to dive into. But just think about that for all of you who've experienced yoga in one way or another in your life, you can trace that back to this author, Paramahansa. And so it's not just an incredible story of his life and how he became a teacher in the U.S., but it really takes you into so many deep themes that we've talked about, life-changing quote that some that we've shared, and just, again, incredible stories that just make you go, hmm. (laughs) So before we wrap up the show, I want us to to share with each other what character resonates most most with us and why. And there's just a plethora of incredible characters, female characters, as well as male characters. And just want to hear your thoughts on that. I really like Nalini, the sister of the yogi, you know, Yogananda. I really liked his sister because, you know, she had, they initially had that brother-sister relationship where they were always going back and forth and he was kind of mean to her and she kind of like brushed him off. Like, you're not, you know what I mean? And but I love that even though, you know, they were, I think there was like eight children. I think, you know, he was like one of eight and he had a, a closer relationship with his older brother, Ananta, you know, who had passed sadly. But I love the, the, like how he developed a closeness to the one sister, Nalini, and how through his faith and in, in his uh, particular, in the Kriya Yogi, he was able to turn her into a believer. Where you know, like, or something. they call them disciples. Yes. And you know, like, you know, she was super skinny and she went over to him and was like, How can I be stout? Like, you know, like, I love that she appealed to him, even though their relationship wasn't as close. But she was like, Brother, please help me. Like, she was like, I know that you can do it. So even though she wasn't a disciple yet, I think she still, you could see that she still had belief 
in it because of him. You know what I mean? And I think she had that faith in her brother to want to go to him. And even when she got sick, she still had that faith in him. And I think due to that faith in him, when everybody was saying that she couldn't bear children, I think it was because of that faith that she was rewarded with two daughters. And by then she was like, oh, forget it. I'm a disciple now. So how does that resonate with you? Like, what's the connection between you and her? For me, you know, I have four brothers <laughs> and I see I, one of them, funny story, the youngest of the boys, he's seven years older than me. We didn't have the best relationship growing up. He was the baby of the family until his twin sisters came along and we stole that away. And you know, I didn't really, I wasn't really a fan of his for a very long time, but he became a disciple of Christ. He became very spiritual. And because of that relationship that he had with God, that's the reason why I, I saw the change in him. And that relationship is why I was able to build my relationship with him. Mm. For a very, very long time, he I didn't speak to him because I was just... That's good. I like that a lot. There's always a path, Barbara. I think that's the point, even in relationships that have struggled. And that's very uplifting. Oh, yeah. His relationship with God was definitely... No, I mean, that there's always a path for people that aren't in a relationship with people to then become close. So I thank you for that story. That's absolutely, absolutely. You're welcome. And that's why I resonate with, with Nalini. I think I resonate with actually the yogi's teacher because I just am a teacher at heart. You know, I'm always sharing like experiences and advocating as well. And I'm also, I feel like a fairly liberal person in that I really don't feel like you have to look a certain way. You don't have to take a certain path. And the lessons that he was teaching the yogi, I so got those. And so that to me, like as a teacher, as a person that really tries to help people be the best that they want to be with what they do, not what I want them to be. I really resonated with him the most. Mm, I love that too. This was a hard one for me because the mother, even though she just had a short time in the book, I thought she was a very powerful character. So as a mother, I resonate with her and how she just doted over her children and just loved on her children and and her level of faith and guidance that she presented to the home and and how she was just that glue that kept everyone together, it seemed like. And so that, but then as the book went on, I feel that I resonate with Yogananda and his search for more, his openness and curiosity to continue to learn and explore self-realization and to love it so much where he wanted to, you know, share that with others and, you know, teach a new generation, this knowledge and this wisdom. And so I feel that I'm on a path of self-awareness. I'm still on that path. I'm open. I'm curious. I'm asking questions. I'm seeking teachers and open to where those lessons are going to come from. It doesn't have to be a designated title or what have you. It could be from books, from friends. And so I just, the journey that he's on, I feel like I'm on this, this journey of exploration and that's exciting. So I would say Yogananda. And you're taking us along with you. Thank you, Nova, so much for that. Yes, let's go. (laughs) It's only begun. This was such an amazing, oh my gosh. I mean, I love every podcast that we do, but I feel so full right now. You know, like when you eat a good meal, I feel very full. And I want to thank you ladies 
for just being so open and vulnerable on our two-part series of Autobiography of a Yogi. You can't help but reflect on your own life and what you can do in your life and the changes you can do in your life while reading this book. And so I hope our listeners equally feel full when they um, finish reading the book and listening to our show or shows, because this is a two-part series of Autobiography of a Yogi. So I just want to thank you, ladies, before we wrap it up. Thank you as well. It's wonderful. Oh, thank you as well. Yes, absolutely. So listen, the next book, it's going to be completely different. The Richest Man in Babylon. Really excited about sharing that as well. So um, that's the next book on the list, guys. And Unleash Your Supernova. Woo! It's finally out in bookstores. Yes. By Nova Lorraine. (laughs) (laughs) Who is that? Who is that? That That name sounds kind of familiar. (laughs) Following that book is The Reader. So definitely get your next set of book, guys. Looking forward to being with you again on our next show. This is Tuesday's Book Club. I'm Nova. Toby. Barbara. And we are exclusively on the Pink Kangaroo Podcast Network. Until next time, y'all. Bye. Bye.